Well, I have much to say today. The, I'm, I'm, I'm torn because I have what I need to talk about and I have what I need to talk about. <laughs> They're both, I would say more, I'd say it's more like 40-60 though. The first part of this is 40% of what I need to talk about. The last part is 60% of what I need to talk about. So <clears throat> I'm just going to get into it here and ask you to try to, to keep up. Um, went to Ireland, as you all know, went on behalf of the church. Uh, every church, as part of its function, is to be missional, in which case Northridge has been missional. Uh, we, we support uh, Matt Boyd, the second pastor of Northridge in Africa there in um, uh, Senegal and all of the litany of things that has grown from that. Uh, we uh, support um, what? Bickles, yes, Kevin and Gina Bickle. Um, they're in Montana in Hungry Horse and, and that. Uh, we have supported others periodically around too uh, through over the years. And so I think what we have here is an ever-expanding mission. Uh, we've been given much. We can travel. We can do things. We can go places. Now, sometimes the places to go are a little hard, um, especially when you don't sleep like myself. Uh, but Ireland is a six-and-a-half-hour flight from Philadelphia, which is much better than 56 hours uh, to get to uh, Asia, uh, even though I don't sleep a wink the whole time. But nonetheless, it's, it's, it's easy to get to. Um, and so uh, I was really overcome with the nation very similar in many ways, but very different. And, and the, it's, it's, it's almost as if it's, it's wide open for gospel impact. They need it, like they actually need it. And you can understand mostly what they're saying, okay? Uh, they have different expressions. Um, what's the crack, they'll ask. And you think, something broke, I guess. <laughs> And uh, they, I've really never understood the dynamic of the war that Ireland experienced from, what, 1920 forward to the late 80s, even into the 90s, between the Irish Republican Army and the Northern, Northern uh, Loyalists or whatever. It was a very hard thing for them. So clearly its, its history is very recent. And uh, the hostilities just got so severe and so bad that they just stopped fighting because it was to the point where both sides were completely, uh, uh, just just completely t disgusted by it. And so, Ireland is wide open for the gospel. <clears throat> I want to start, though, by giving a scriptural foundation for why we should be missional. All of these things you've heard before you read your Bibles. Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20, also often we call this the Great Commission. It says, And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Now, I want to stop there for a second, because many times we just breeze right past that. Did you notice what it said? All authority has been given. It's not waiting to be given. It's not partially given. It's not waiting to be realized, and hopefully sometime at the right time, it'll all happen. No, He has all authority and it has been given to him in heaven and on earth. And God has given him the nations. And he is ruling even now as he puts them under his feet. So no matter what the world yells, no matter how many balloons they may fly, okay, no matter how different they would like to try to rewrite history or, or reanimate the human body, or deny the living God who made them. It doesn't matter. Because all those enemies of history are in the dust. Amen. They fail. Amen. Because that's all they can do. I mean, in a minute I'm going to talk about the revival that's going on in the colleges. But I want to just say something real quick about that before we get there. All God has to do is simply look towards darkness and it flees. It's not even a, there's no contest. And Jesus said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. So on that knowledge, 
And on that courage and on that authority, he says to us, go and make disciples of all nations. Now, there's a lot of nations. Which ones do you go to? So, in the providence of God, which we believe here at this church, God allowed me to end up going with a group of pastors from Mississippi to Ireland. I never thought I would go there. In fact, I found myself on the street in uh, Nina, okay, in the county of Armagh. <laughs> Going out through this subdivision would be a subdivision to them. They all have letterboxes in their, their front doors. They have, and they're tiny little houses. And I don't have time to show you all the pictures, but there's just, you open the lid and shove it through. It's always in the cartoons. Remember Looney Tunes in the day? Well, I was there. We, were, we handed out over a thousand gospel booklets. You don't call them tracts over there because of the Jehovah's Witnesses getting involved. But booklets. And I found myself walking down the street in the county of Armagh, Nina. And I was walking there and it was kind of raining. And I thought, Lord, this is a long way from the farm. I'm walking in Ireland putting gospel booklets in letterboxes of Irish people that don't know the gospel at all. They've only had religion. I'm so glad you're here, Lord. And we just walked and stuffed boxes. The other, and then before that, we went out and, and we did what we do here. Knock on the door. They open the door. Hey, just asking, you know what the gospel is? Oh, yes, laddie, I know what the gospel is. Laddie. Because <laughs> you've got to stop and just take it in, right? And so, I say, yeah. Well, may I read for, to you from the Scriptures? Oh, no, you put the book back away now. We don't need to get it out. And then the anger erupt, erupted from them because they've been hurt and deceived so badly and they believed so long in the Catholic Church. And all that, that came out and all that happened, they were left flat. And they are now offended at Scripture. But, referring to who I'm going to introduce to later, Mervyn, the head of Baptist Missions there, because he was brought up Church of Ireland, so I think the Anglican Church is kind of similar. He says, were we not both christened as babies? Oh, yes, we were. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm here to tell you, there is a real gospel and as we begin to talk, this lady named Pat, she looked over at me and she goes, are you telling me, Sonny, that you believe God hears your prayers, does he? I said, yes, ma'am. Well, when's the last time you heard from him? I said, about right now. Because <laughs> it was true. There was a whole lot of conversating going on right there with me and the Lord. Because I'm in Ireland and there's this lady there and she called me Laddie. And, and I'm just thinking, Lord Jesus, this is not Jerome. And when I said, well, right now, ma'am, she began to tear up. You mean he hears you? I said, yeah, he hears all the time. He wakes me up. You don't have to go to your dead loved ones. I said, nah, they need him too. And he's, they're with him right now. I need Jesus, not them. And we had this conversation. And all she wanted to know was if God heard her when she prayed. And I said, well, ma'am, you got to understand. The first prayer he'll hear from you is repentance. And your need for him. This little track. And I said, tracks when I learned later, you don't say that. Has the gospel in it. It's the gospel you've been denied. If you'll just read it, you'll understand what I'm trying to tell you. She goes, oh, I'll read it, Sonny. I'll read it. It just made me realize that a lot of people that don't know Christ are this close to wanting to hear, but they're so angry and hurt. Because when you're deceived spiritually, that is a very vulnerable, close area to be deceived in. And we have to have more compassion on that. She bawled and cried and went her way. Rejoicing that there was hope that the Lord would hear her. 
That's all she wanted to know. And she left with the gospel in her hand. We talked for a long time. Go make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. We take the Bible into the world. We take the scripture into the world. That is the authority of our faith and our practice is what the Bible says. And I don't care how corrupted the cults have made it. I don't care what false teachers have done to it. It is more powerful than they are. And when you put the Bible in the hands of a surrendered child of God, you better look out because all hell will be screaming. And that's exactly is what's happening 2,000 miles to the southeast. And Jesus says this promise, I am with you always. Don't look at the clouds. Don't look at the darkness. Don't buy the empty rhetoric or the new most fallacious thing that will set you on your heels saying, I can't believe they said that. Just listen to your king. He will be with us to the end of this age. And then he's going to come get us. So we aren't done yet. But he's doing a work. Stop listening to all the distraction. In John chapter 4, verse 27 through 38, it it reads, And at this point his disciples came, and they marveled that he talked with a woman. Now this is the woman at the well. You are familiar with it, the Samaritan woman. Jesus said there in John chapter 4, he had need to go through Samaria, which was the long way around to where he was going. He, didn't, he could have shaved a lot of miles off of his journey had he gone straight. But no, he went through Samaria. And they marveled that he was talking to a woman because they, they found themselves at a well. Jesus was at this well. This woman was at this well. And he begins to conversate with her. He tells her where her sin is. She perceives him to be a prophet. And then his disciples show up and they're amazed that he's talking first to a woman being a Jewish man. And secondly, that he's talking to a Samaritan woman, which is, I guess, lower than just being a non-Jew. So it reads, they marveled that he talked with a woman, yet no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? Because when Jesus is working, you don't question him. You know? That ought to make us really stand up and take notice. When Jesus is doing a work, you don't stand back and question him. Here's how you know when Jesus is doing a work. Because that work will point to him and only him. And the only way it can be explained is in him and him alone. There's no theatrics involved. No hysterias. No wildness, no false illuminations. Just the name alone. And when Jesus is doing a work, we just need to bow. And say, God, do it here too. So they ask, what are... They didn't ask, why are you talking with her? The woman then left her water pot. She was so excited because there was a moment of understanding as this happens. And every time someone is born again, their heart is open. The heart of their understanding is open. As God regenerates the soul and the mind is open to the sin. And more than that, they're open to the Savior. And they see Jesus for who he, who he is. And suddenly he's the only thing that matters. That sometimes you even forget what you were doing because he becomes central focus. She leaves her water pot. And she goes her way into the city and she tells all the men, come see a man who told me all things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Because there is an expectation. And I want to say this, even in Ireland, in a place where there's so much spiritual abuse underneath that veneer, underneath that crust, they want to know the gospel. They still hope that he's real. Still. And so we go tell. It says in verse 30. Then they went out of the city and came to him. And in the meantime his disciples urged him saying. Rabbi eat because after all disciples jobs are to look after the needs of the Savior. And say here's what you're not doing right. God let let us as the church help you do your job. Okay we figure you could be more efficient. And certainly you need to take care of your own needs. Jesus said something profound here. They said, Rabbi, eat. But he said, 
I have food to eat of which you do not know. And I've been thinking, what kind of food was that he was referring to? I haven't read the commentators. I'm sure there's lots written on it. But I kind of think it's this. And he says, doing the will of the Father is my greatest sustenance. Now, when we get to the point when we think like that, when serving Jesus and loving Jesus and bowing down before that Lord, the Lord our God becomes our greatest need. You better watch out. Why do you think hell's freaking out right now? He writes on to say, therefore the disciples said in verse 33 to one another, well, has anyone brought him something to eat? Because we can't stop looking at the surface. Don't look at the things which are seen, but rather the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Do you have an eternal view? Do I have an eternal view like I need to have? We aren't losing, church. We're winning. We haven't been losing. Well, according to my mind, you've been alive 80 years, okay. Since Jesus went up, look at what's happened across the globe. Freedom. The gospel. If you're a woman, you should rejoice. The indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit of God inside of people. Yes, we've died and are dying. Yes, we've been persecuted and are persecuted. But we're not losing. No. No, the gospel's going around the world. These stories... Of these, of these Muslims coming to faith in Christ that are in some... There's no way any one of us or anybody that looked like us could get within 500 miles of some of these places without being killed on sight. Jesus is coming to them in, in their dreams and calling them out one by one. Don't tell me we're losing. And for every church that's burned in Nigeria, you've got two to three more thousand coming to Christ. Okay. Don't tell me we're losing. It just depends on your perspective. Because we just said, the things which are seen are temporary. The things which are not seen are, this world is passing away. Oh yes. Oh yeah, he coming back all right. In victory. That we already have been living. So the disciples... I've got to look away from the temporal. And Jesus said in verse 34, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. This, this verse here, it, it, it causes my soul to heave. Because I ask myself, is my food to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work? Well, I would love to say with 100% assurance, yes. But I find I fight with the flesh that says, oh, but look at this and do that. Oh, but what about that? And after all, I mean, after all, the pragmatists would say, but you've got to go make a living. And you do. Oh, and you've got to take care of your families. And you do. Oh, and, and look how busy you are. I mean, when, when we watch Royce at this age right now, there's not enough of us. Okay, because, you know, how are you supposed to? But I would say this. God knows and is equipped you with His Holy Spirit to still love Him and serve Him and come towards Him and pursue Him. It doesn't matter what you're under. We were on that trip and uh, we were running, man, 12, 10, 12, 13, 14 hours a day. And my Bible study got really wrecked by that. But it's not because I didn't make the attempt. I was getting up at 6 to go down only to find the kitchen full of other pastors who were up before me. It was just because they didn't have a lot of coffee makers. And so 
I took my Bible in hand and then, of course, you know, try to have a quiet time with a room full of preachers. <laughs> Didn't work out. But I tried to read in the van and, well... That didn't work out either because driving around Ireland is like driving in a bowl of spaghetti. It's just up and down. And I thought, well, it's going to come up. And I wasn't the only one. There were three of us that had to have the front seats. But I tried. I tried every morning. I tried. Is it my, is it my food to do the will of him who sent me to finish his work? I want to finish well. Don't you? Jesus says, do you not say there are still four months, then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white for harvest. Sometimes I get discouraged when I go out and we go door knocking and stuff and I don't see anything in the way of fruit. But then I think about this text and it says the fields are already white for harvest. Jesus says, and he who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life. That both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. But I have to remember something when I go and I get discouraged. There are some who sow. There are others who reap. My problem, our problem, is this notion. And I think it's particular to the human condition, but maybe even more particular to the American human condition. We want it now. If you don't like it, change the channel. Click your mouse. Swipe your screen. Drive to the next restaurant just down the road if they don't have what you want. You get it. We're talking about eternal matters. I wonder. I think sometimes. If God will just somehow allow this massive germination to take place. Because we've been faithful to sow. Maybe Royce... And the rest of the youngins in this church will be the ones to reap. Are we taking our part in the harvest? Sometimes maybe we're just called to plow. Somebody's going to get to drive the combine. I just want to do my part. And I pray one day, people, I think about it all the time. Of seeing not only Northridge full. All the churches in the valley that preach the gospel full. The altar covered. People crying out for Jesus to be saved. Because the spirit of God is moving amongst us. And you know what? That's actually happening 2,000 miles from here. Think about that for a second. You can drive to it. Jesus says. That both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. One sows and another reaps. And I put this last verse in blue because I think it summarizes why we do missions. I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored. Others have labored and you have entered into their labors. You, you are called to go enter into their labors. We go and we enter into the labors of those brethren there. As they're trying to be faithful. They may come here and enter into our labors. The fact of the matter is the kingdom of God is not static. But it overlaps. And it works together. And that's our calling. Now I'm going to give you uh, some pictures. Sometimes we will be called upon to go a long way out of the way. To fulfill our kingdom mission. And I, 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 I don't have time to go through these verses. But I just want to say that. Samaria, Samaria was a long way out of the way. Ireland is seven hours flight one way. You're not just going to go there on purpose. Unless you just go there on purpose. The culture is not your own. And you will have to prepare both monetarily in advance. And by becoming students of their spiritual reality. To fulfill your mission. If we're going to take on and minister in Ireland. We're going to have to make it a part. Of our budget. And we have to make it a part. Of our study. To understand their heart. We have to think foreign missions. Number two. The burden to fulfill our kingdom mission. Must be more desirous than our own food. And personal nourishment. 
Remember what Jesus modeled. This is the part that only comes by asking God for the blessing of the burden. Now, did you get that? When's the last time you asked God for the blessing of a burden? Most of us try to get rid of burdens, right? We try to get rid of it. We don't need to hurt here. America is very comfortable. What if you begin to pray? What if we begin to pray? God, bless us with a burden for the Irish people. Bless us with a burden for our own people. Break my heart for the bizarre weirdness that I see of those people who are trapped under the seduction of Satan. Oh, Lord, help us storm the gates of hell and intercession. Bless us with the burden of loving the lost. That won't come naturally, but it needs to come. And if you don't have it, you go ask for it till you get it. Number three, we must remember that our part of the kingdom mission is a small part of a much larger picture. There is always overlap in the work of God. A continuity of the divine purpose of redemption. We may be sowing here. We may be sowing there. They're sowing there. They may come here. They may reap here. We don't know. We may be sowing over there. But reaping from over there. And the labors that they're doing. God is always doing something. Always. Problem is, we have a very surface level view of things. In our day, we are inundated with screens. Now, they can be a handy and useful tool, but most of the time, let's all admit it, they are one ginormous distraction and an even greater pipeline into the filth of the world. You don't even have to go looking for it. You might as well just go open the lid to your septic tank. I'm going to say something real quick on that. We can become desensitized to stench. So every now and again, if you're a homeowner, you have to have your septic tank sucked out. You just do. So we call, you call the honey bucket to come. And... Uh, they come in with their truck, they pop your lid off, and you think, you know, it's astonishing, actually. Who are you people, right? But here's what I saw this young man do. He, says, he, he shoves in his big old hose, goes to sucking, and it gets all the way down in there. Then it gets to where, and I can't believe he did this still, just as casual as walking me walking over, sitting down. He gets his shovel, he gets on his knees, flops over, hangs his body halfway down in there and begins to rake. And I thought, (gasps) I'm going to go shower for you, okay? And then it occurred to me, he does this every day. I mean, it is what it is. Everywhere you go. He's desensitized to it. It's just another thing. I would have had a hazmat suit on. <laughs> Probably two, knowing me. With its own air supply. And a decam, a decontamination unit to just, because. But no, nah, this kid just reaches down in there, begins to scoop, and still talking the whole time, except there's an echo because he's down in a septic tank. <laughs> Didn't seem right. We get desensitized to the filth around us. So it takes a greater degree of filth to surprise us. We need to get God's heart. Meet Mervyn Scott. This is Mervyn. He's a mission director there with the Baptist uh, of Ireland, International uh, Baptist Association of Ireland. And that was started back in 1651. I actually went to Waterford, which was the first, comma, Baptist church in Ireland in 1651, planted by Thomas Patient under Cromwell. It was there 
Everywhere you look is history. But Mervyn was appointed as missions director at the church's council in May 2014. He is from Dublin, met his lovely wife, Karen. Uh, Mar- uh, Mervyn is a wonderful man of God, loves to sing, loves to pray, and is driven with an m- internal motor for the kingdom that I've not seen very many places. No scripture and hymns, just, just, just tell him one and blah, 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 there it'll come. Just loves, it just exudes Jesus. This is William and Yvonne Kidd. This is Waterford Baptist Church. This is the first Baptist church in Ireland. It's in the Republic. Will has been, uh, and his wife Yvonne, uh, have been there since 2020. And I don't know, I wanted to ask him, do you realize you're pastoring the very first ever Baptist church in Ireland? Now they run maybe 15, 20 in a town of 50,000, which is surrounded by 500,000 people. You have to understand, have you ever noticed in a lot of these big metropolitan areas, you have still, you have towns that are separate. So you look up the population, it'll tell you the population of that town, but they're right next to this other. And so the whole area is just huge. Well, they say you can drive 45 minutes in any direction you want in any number of these towns and never run into another church of any kind. He used to be in forestry and construction. God called him into ministry. But like I said, this church was founded in 1650. He has five children, Heidi, uh, Joseph, Paul, Nathan, and Phoebe. And I just have to say, one of the surprises that happened, they've... So get this, they couldn't find a place to live when they moved to Waterford, so they moved seven times trying to get into Waterford. They moved seven times, ended up living now in the manse, everyone know what a manse is? A manse is like the parsonage of the Church of Ireland. So you have this old, beautiful Church of Ireland building, church building, And then you have the manse, which is stone and beautiful too. They live in that. So the Baptist preacher is living in the manse. And then they, yeah. So we went, they had us over for dinner. And we were all kind of sleepy and about to fall over. And I was. And they made something called sticky toffee pudding. We never stopped looking for it the rest of the time. That's all they talked about after that. That was... One of those, it's got trickle, treckle, and dates, and, and other stuff that's, and I, it, I have the recipe. <laughs> right straight from Ireland. If you watch the guy, oh yeah, yeah, sticky toffee pudding. And he goes making, Jesse's going to make it for me soon. So, <laughs> bless them, bless them. <laughs> it just is wonderful. So, uh, lovely family, though. They're all in it. They've given everything to be there in that city. And he may be one that we partner with. I've been in communication with him since I've been back. This is David and Afaf McConville. Afaf. Now, here what's interesting. He passed, they, they're pastoral volunteers in Nina Baptist. The town is around 8,000. But again, you have this larger area. Uh, as I said, many places in Ireland have no evangelical church for 40 miles in any direction. But we handed out over a thousand gospel booklets there. Uh, Afaf is uh, from um, uh, Saudi Arabia, somewhere Middle East. I forget exactly where. She was brought up Muslim. Her dad is still Muslim. God called her specifically to himself. Saved her radically. Then she meets up with this Irish man, David. And now they're serving in gospel ministry there together. And on their way to their house, you drive by a thousand-year-old keep. It's a round tower that's just out in their pasture. And it's, it, dates, well, it dates back to 1200, I should say. And it has little slits where they can fire the arrows out. This history is everywhere. So not everybody has a keep on their farm. <laughs> Wonderful people. Lots of opportunity here. Thinking about 
entering, engaging with them. And then this is Joel and Katya Marcus. Katya is from Russia. Katya is from Russia. They pastor uh, Bell Turbot Baptist Church. Bell Turbot is a thriving fellowship of more than 40 adults and children. It reminds me a lot of Northridge when it was smaller. Um, uh, Bell Turbot is just on the border of the Republic of Northern Ireland. So when you get into the border towns, now you're talking about tensions. And so a lot of places, they have lots of rivers. There's bridges. And so they're, 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 they're impacting the gospel. And I, I'm just going to put you all on record as saying, Hey, Weston, here's a neat opportunity. For whatever reason, the people in Ireland love country music. Okay? <laughs> and uh, there's a man there named Colin who's not on my screen that likes to sit out with a little desk on one of the sidewalks in the towns. And he loves to hand out Bibles and engage, and he just wants people to pay attention to him. And he goes, man, if we had someone to sing country music. And I said, well, I got the guy. <laughs> so on our first trip over, Wes is going to take his guitar over, and he's going to sing them to him. Okay? Yeah. So, but they just love country music. Um, but the opportunities there are great. Wonderful family. Wonderful little churches. So many similarities, but so different. For instance, you don't watch your head there, you mind it. Mind your head, mind the sidewalk. Don't mind if I do. Okay, but it's all, but the, just lovely, lovely families. I was on the radio there, I didn't expect that. Uh, that was in a town called Y'all. <laughs> right? They actually have on their sign going into the town, Welcome to y'all, y'all come back. I'm like, <laughs> really? But it's Y-A-U-G-H-L. And Mervyn used to pastor the church there. And it's actually the town, and, the, and it's, it's all on the ocean here, uh, that the first Moby Dick with um, uh, Gregory Peck? No. Is that the one? That's actually where they shot the opening scene was in that town. And they have a big statue of him there as, as uh, the, the Captain Ahab. Yes. So that was all there. But I got put on the radio and uh, was just asked all these questions. And it was something. Lots of tea and, and biscuits, which are cookies, which are biscottis, which are really good. <clears throat> anyway. So these are the three people, and, and who knows who more. But let me, let me kind of fi- finish this up so I can finish talking about the last. I, I don't know if you can make it out. That's pretty small. Let me see. Nope, I've got nothing. So Waterford is down at the bottom of the map, just above the 50, if you can make it out. That's where uh, William and Yvonne are. So it's a long... Th- this was found... There's a tower there that goes back to 1,000 by a Viking who founded the town. Okay. Um, so that's Waterford. That's where they serve. And then more into the middle of the island is Nina. That's where David and Afaf serve. And then you go up to the very top where it turns from green to gray. And that's where you get into where Joel and Katya are. You can circumnavigate, if you will, the entire island in 13 hours. Or you can drive straight across from end to end in a little over eight. Okay. But roughly, it's about uh, two hours or more between these locations. So I was thinking if we get on mission there, we may split our time up and go from a different, these different places. The truth of the matter is they all need it, and they're all wonderful. And they, good, they cook good lamb and sticky toffee pudding. All right. We need to be in much prayer about Ireland, and I would really appreciate as you pray for the leadership as we seek to discern um, as I said, I have begin. I have a meeting with David, David over here Tuesday by with WhatsApp, okay, and uh, we're going to be talking about what to do, and we'll see what happens. Um, fall, the the February is the off season there, and um, we'll see what we can get do, get rolling. So it is something that we can do. All right, now, now I'm going to turn to my second message. Everybody's been asking me about what's happening in, in Asbury, what's happening in uh, Cedarville, there in Ohio, what's happening in Mississippi, 
and what's happening in Alabama. And I'm not sure if there's a fifth one yet or not. Tennessee, okay. Um, People want to know, is it real? And I'm going to say this. Bill Eliff, we read one of his books here a couple prayer and fastings ago. Sound man, heart for revival. He's a Baptist pastor in Arkansas. And he's been there. And he's wrote about it very faithfully. And here's what he said he sees. He sees prayer. He sees repentance. There's lots of worship. But it's not led by bands. There's a guitar and a piano. Okay. Sometimes there's words on a screen. Sometimes there's not words on a screen. It's led by students entirely. The staff at Asbury are doing a good job keeping things tame. So that no one, so that the glory is not stolen away from the Lord. There's a sermon every night. There's scripture throughout the day. There's no hysteria, no antics, no bizarre behaviors. So yes, I believe that it is real. I believe, and the same thing is happening. Cedarville is a very Baptistic school. Alabama, same. Tennessee, I have, well, the Tennessee's new one, but Mississippi, same. So this isn't anything that's driven by what we might call emotionalism. This is just the Lord God coming down in His manifest presence. The sermon that brought that was not remarkable. And it was over, in fact. The, pre- the preacher said he didn't even get to really finish it. And then kids just started pouring forward. It is inexplicable. You say, well, is it revival? Well, that depends. There's lots of definitions of what constitutes revival on all of those who study revival. Some people won't call it a revival unless it's, unless it's multi-state with hundreds of thousands of people coming to faith and all... Some call it revival just when the Lord turns up. And I, I experienced personal revival in my life. And I would call it just that. I don't really care what we call it. But clearly God is doing a major work. Clearly. I had some scripture I wanted to read. Out of Isaiah 64. We read this a lot in Isaiah 64 verse 1. Oh, that you would rend the heavens, that you would come down, that the mountains might shake at your presence as fire burns brushwood, as fire causes water to boil, to make your name known to your adversaries, that the nations may tremble at your presence when you did awesome things for which we did not look. You came down. Now look at this. For the first time in reading this text at this, in this church, this verse 3 When you did awesome things for which we did not look, you came down. We've been praying and asking God to stir our nation. He's choosing to work a bunch bunch of college students. Praise God for it. Now, do you know what I think our prayer ought to be? Don't pass us by. Do it here. Oh, Lord. And we pray for that movement to not be sullied by Satan. If you go on to read down. It says in verse 5. You meet him who rejoices and does righteousness. Who remembers you in your ways. You meet him. There is an element of personal relationship here that God has with his people. And if you turn over to verse 7, 64, 7. This is the one that got me this morning. And I don't understand it, but I want to try. There is no one who calls on your name, who stirs himself up to take hold of you. For you have hidden your face from us and have consumed us because of our iniquities. We all agree that we've gotten used to living a subnormal Christian life. And we all agree that we tolerate way more sin than we should. But we all agree that in many ways we're stuck. And we need Him to un, 
unhook us from that. We all agree that we have situations in our own marriages, in our families, and even our own selves that only God can heal. And I don't know, I don't know what it means or what that looks like to stir yourself up. I know it doesn't mean to contrive or make things up or try to substitute with emotions what only God can provide. But I don't know what that is. But if it's got a pull cord on it, I'm pulling. Okay, I want to pull. I just think he's 2,000 miles to the southeast right now. And no, I don't feel compelled to drive over there. I do feel compelled to ask him come here. Yes, we could go there. And yes, it would be amazing. And yes, we would see it. But we need him here. Because it isn't an event we're after. It's change. It's healing. It's, it's recognizing and understanding our sinful condition. It's being pulled up out of the pit. Have you ever been so stuck you were helpless? It's where we are. So I don't know what stir yourself up means. And, and this next part. Adam. It says to take hold of you. What does that mean? To take hold of you. To stir myself. We are to stir ourselves up and take hold of God. Take hold of God. One time. I had to catch a yearling calf. That was about 600 pounds. I had roped it. The horse was gone by now. We were tangled in the electric fence. After all of that, I pulled, I needed to give it a shot. And I just remember grabbing that thing around his neck because he had tired down, I thought. And I grabbed him and I hung on. But I didn't let go. And he went down and he got a shot. If it looks like that, then I'm, I'm going to hang on. What did Jacob pray whenever he wrestled with God? What did, he, what did he say? I won't let you go until you bless me. Okay. Now I want you to turn to first, uh, that's wrong, Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10. And this is what I think our attitude ought to be during this time. Mark chapter 10, verse 46. I'm going to read this. I'm going to make some thoughts. Now they came to Jericho. As he went out of Jericho, that's Jesus, with his disciples, and a great multitude, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus sat by the road begging. So here's blind Bartimaeus. And when he heard, notice verse 47, and when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Which is another way of saying Messiah. Have mercy on me. Then many warned him to be quiet. But he cried out all the more. Son of David. Have mercy on me. Notice verse 49. What happened? Jesus stood still. I think we should take a lesson from blind Bartimaeus. He was begging. He was in need. He was blind. He heard Jesus was near. He begins to cry at the top of his lungs. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. See me. And people said, shut up. Be quiet. But he just kept crying. Because his need was so great. He had nothing. And then Jesus stood still. And what happened? 
he commanded him to be called. (laughs) And they came to the blind man and said, be of good cheer. He's calling you. And notice what happened. He threw aside his garment and rose and came to Jesus as a blind man in a crowd. And the garment's all you've got. And you throw it away like that, you're not getting it back. And it says, so Jesus answered and said to him, and I love this. And I think the Lord is asking us as a church right now this question. What do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do? And what did Brian Bartimaeus say? Rabbi, that I may receive my sight. And then Jesus said, go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he received his sight. Here's the lesson from blind Bartimaeus to us right now. God is actively moving in our nation. It may not be right here. But if there was ever a time to be shouting and screaming from the side of the road. When you hear he is near. It is right now. And we should be crying out to the top of our lungs. Jesus Lord. Have mercy on us. Do not pass us by. Come near us O Lord. And heal us too. Turn our eyes away. To look only at you. Lord let you be all that we see. So that we can be everything. That you've called us to. That's our mandate now. So we are going to call a special prayer meeting. For this Wednesday night. In lieu of kids ministry. We're going to be talking with. The leadership about just what to do about all that. But it's going to be simple. And we're going to come. And I want you to prepare. To come to seek your king. Because we're not praying for something. That we haven't seen now in years and years and years and years. It's happening. Do we want him here too? Because if Jesus stops. And he looks and says. What do you want me to do for you? And I would say, Lord, that you would renew us again. Heal us. Let us see. Take away this cancer of sin that's in us. And it's all wrapped around our soul. And exercise it out. Excise it out. Take it away. And fill us with power to finish well. Transform our lives afresh. God, bring revival to us. We have 4.30 prayer today. And do you realize? It's revival prayer. And did you know that it's actually happening right now? That's what we're about today. So we've gone from Ireland and the opportunity to serve God in mission to the opportunity that we have in front of us to seek God with a nearness like we've never known. What are we going to do with it? If there's ever been a time, it's now. Do you know Jesus? I want to say this to you. You must repent of your sin. You must be born again. You must come to Christ saying, this is what I've done. These are my sins. I've I've not believed. I've done it my way. I've made a mess. I lay it at your feet. Save me, God. Save me. Wash me clean. I trust you and I want you alone as Lord. Believe. And be born again. And Christian. It's time to get up. And get low. It's time to seek the Lord your God.